Yo, yo, yo! Welcome into the Fantasy Bros NFL Podcast. I'm your host, Jason. Joining me is Baby Bro, Baby Jake. What's up? What's good, fam? We're going to give this another go. We tried this a few times, and we keep seeming to have, like, audio difficulties, but I think we got it dialed in this morning, so bear with us. All right, we're going to go over uh, yesterday's slate, review a couple lineups, look at our massive $25 double up, look at some of the Millie Maker lineups, and then if there's any lineups you want to talk about, we could do that too. So how'd you fare yesterday? Well, uh, profited a little bit yesterday. I uh, cashed in one of my quintuple ups and then the red zone. Those were my two out of my five entries yesterday that I made a little goo So not a horrible day, but could have done a little better, of course. But we all can say that, I'm sure. Oh, no doubt, man. Yeah, I ended up, I think I lost 30 bucks. So not like, not a big loss, obviously not a win. But what's most frustrating is I kind of re-listened to our live stream yesterday and we nailed it. Every single player we mentioned had a great day. Every player we were kind of weary of ended up not coming through and it was right to fade them. So it, it was one of those things where tournament-wise, I only played in the $50,000 red zone and the $100,000 spy. So I only had two lineups. And then I was in a few listener leagues, but, you know, those I kind of just optimized lineups and threw in a few that didn't look terrible. I didn't spend a whole lot of time building them. But the two that I threw in, they just didn't quite get there. They didn't have enough, didn't have enough juice, you know. Um, But the player pool, like, man, I just feel like if we had made 20 lineups with the small condensed pool of players that we mentioned in the podcast, like, there is some huge opportunity to be had there. So... For me, um, I think it's more contest selection, man. Wait, crushed the double up. Um, I mean, we cashed in the double up that you and I built. I ran one myself where I had Devontae Adams instead of Tyreek Hill, like I was, you know, kind of advocating for yesterday. And that one, I won every double up I was in, won every triple up I was in. So I think maybe I'm going to start sprinkling in more cash games and then maybe do more tournament lineups but at lower entry fees i mean i'm not going to be throwing in thousands and thousands of dollars i'm not to that point yet every week so you know instead of only doing the two big tournaments the 50 entry or 50 dollar buy-in and 100 dollar buy-in i think i'm going to start doing a few more maybe some 20 maxes and lower entries just so i can build some more lineups because i really i mean i just feel like we've been getting good at honing in on the right players each week so it's just a matter of putting those pieces together but with that being said Make sure you guys like the video, subscribe to the page, hit the bell so you can get notified whenever we drop new content like this, and let's get into it. We are going to review that massive $25 double-up lineup that I just mentioned. Um, Jake, you can see what's going on here, right? Yep, I can see it all. Okay, cool. So this is the massive $25 double-up. This is... A uh, single entry contest. The field is 8,045 people. It pays out the top 3,500. We finished 1189. Uh, team scored 130 points. That was with Tyreek Hill. If you had Devontae Adams, you would have scored 144. So either way, I mean, you're in a double up. You're, you're comfortably in the money either way. That 144 gets you, uh, I mean, you would have finished in the top 400. So for tournaments or even like triple ups, you know, I like to throw my cash line up into triple ups. And I know Jake, you mentioned you did some quintuple ups. So that 13 point difference can make a difference in tournaments like that, but it sounds like this week it didn't for you. So that's awesome. 
With that said, let's kind of look at the lineup uh, here. We'll start. Yeah, sorry. What do you want to say? No, you're good. Yeah, I say if I definitely would have played the 144, I would have cashed in my other one. I just uh, one out of two, I ended up making it, but it was very slim. Barely made it in. And it's easy in hindsight to say, oh, Devontae Adams was a good play and Tyreek Hill was a bad play. I mean, those guys are both typically great plays. I just view Adams as having that higher floor. Um, but yeah, I don't think you can really go wrong mm-hmm. with either of them. Tyreek Hill had 20 points. That's. Devontae Adams has 20 points in bad games, too, so that's not a big deal. But anyway, we'll take a look at the actual lineup here. We have Cam Newton at quarterback. I'm really surprised to see his ownership coming in at only 7.5%. I thought with him being $5,100, having that rushing upside, goal line work, I thought he would be at closer to 30% ownership in cash games. But 7.5%, he ended up with 26 points, two passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown. It's about what you expect for him. I mean, that's just a whole home day, you know. 189 passing yards, 46 mm-hmm. rushing yards. So he didn't really have all that great of a game. He just found his way to the end zone a few times. So, again, that's kind of a floor game for him. What if he has five touchdowns and 500 total yards? You know, he's breaking the slate, especially at $5,100. So looking at this lineup, um, I did not think that was going to be a difference maker. I thought down here when we were able to get Jamar Chase into the lineup, I thought he was going to be a difference maker. He was a play that you and I both really liked. And I knew his ownership would be sub 10%. It came in at 8 And Darren Waller at tight end, I'm really surprised to see his ownership come in this low. 6.5%. He was only priced at $6,100 this week. And he's in that elite tier with basically him and Kelsey and no one else. So I thought that was too cheap for him. And at tight end, I either want to get a tight end like that, who's essentially their team's number one pass catcher, or just completely punt the position and play you know, a 3K tight end who... Maybe has touchdown upside, and otherwise he's at least not going to lose me the contest because you're not relying on him anyway. So those are the uh, single-digit ownership players that we had, along with our defense. We went with the Jets playing Miami. They're $2,300, a cheap defense um, that we knew we could get leverage off of. They only scored two points, but it's a defense, you know, whatever. If they end up getting to pick six, they they might get you 20. So it's just so hard to predict. Really, Really what you're looking for is you're looking for – good opportunity and you want to be different from the field so a lot of people were playing the browns this week we're like let's just play someone else you know jets worked out jake you want to kind of go through some of our other picks here yeah um running back there i say ingram and wilson we just kind of followed with what everybody else was doing i mean the whole field was playing them as well as aj Dillon. there you can see we like to go with three running backs simply for our cash lineups they are a little less volatile than the receiver position. You can almost always count on that they're going to hit. Except for Jeff Wilson yesterday. He did not <laughs> perform as well as we thought he would. And I think everyone else thought the same thing we did there. Well, uh, he, but the other guys got it done. Him and Garoppolo, just, they missed on a touchdown. He was wide open in the end zone running a crossing route. It was a designed play for him. And he was so open, he just kind of started slowing up. He was setting down. And Garoppolo led him and threw it on a rope as if he was, I don't know, had to get it through a tight window. So Garoppolo kind of missed. Wilson kind of held up on his route. And then they were getting Debo involved. Debo had nine carries on the day. And, you know, Debo was someone we were touting yesterday, too. We were really high on Debo, coming in at $7,800. They're traveling across the country. Um, Elijah Mitchell was out. We knew he was going to be out. We knew that Debo got carries. I wasn't expecting him to get nine. But that was a threat, you know, and that was also – 
on the other side, a way that you could get leveraged by playing Debo. So it was, again, one of those guys we were talking up. We were saying how much we loved him and that we are going to be playing him everywhere. And then I didn't have him in either of those tournament lineups that I submitted when it was all said and done. So kicking myself for that. But, yeah, Jeff Wilson, 60% owned. He didn't get there, but that's fine. Over half the field was playing him. Mark Ingram, a third of the field had him, 33% on 16 points. That's what you're looking for. And then A.J. Dillon, 76% of the field had him, and he only had 15 points. So that's not a complete letdown game. That returns value. But I think a lot of people, myself included, were expecting more from Dillon, especially when you see that that had a 65-point over-under. If you were to tell me that they were going to score 65 combined points and that it would be a three-point game, not a blowout, and he was only going to have 15 points, I wouldn't believe it. But for cash game purposes, like Jake mentioned, everybody was playing these three. That's really what you're looking to do. You want to play those cheap fill-in running backs that are going to get 15 to 20 touches, that have those high floors and, uh, you know, touchdown equity upside. And then that allows you to pay up so you can get a Tyree Kill, Devontae Adams, a Jamar Chase, Darren Waller jammed into your lineup. Yeah, no, I said A.J. Dillon, that was a huge surprise, I feel like, because – that game was just all passing. Uh, even on the other side of the ball, Dalvin Cook did fairly well, but nothing crazy. I mean, he didn't go like nuclear or anything like he's capable of doing. He had a solid outing, I guess, but AJ Dillon, yeah, a yeah, little bit of a letdown. Oh, that game was all done uh, through the air. Jefferson Thielen, Cousins, Rogers, Devontae Adams, MVS. I mean, those. You could have played either of those quarterbacks, done a double stack with you know the, either the two receivers from that team and run it back with either of the other receivers from the other team, and you would have likely been in the top 1% of any lineup you were in. So that was definitely the game to target. And that's essentially what we're doing in tournaments. Now, this here we're breaking down a cash lineup where you just want to have a high floor, you know, high projected points, and you want to try to get close to that 150-point line. If you hit that, you're in the money. That's a good rule of thumb. So... For tournaments, though, you, you want to find that game. You know, it's not every week, but if there is a game like that, that's the game you got to have. You got to have the right quarterback, the double stack, the bring back. And outside of that, you can really do whatever you want with other pieces, and you're going to be in the money. And that was the game this week. That's what we're looking for every week. So I don't know if there's anybody else you want to talk about. The only, I mean, we didn't mention Tyreek Hill, really. He came in at 42% owned. The way we constructed our lineup, we had 8,400 left over, so we could have got up to Devontae Adams on the dot, or we saved $200 and played Tyreek Hill, and that's fine. I don't, I don't mind having $200 left on the table for cash lineups and tournaments and stuff. Uh, you know, like I mentioned in the live stream, I would have preferred Adams, but look, yet 42% of the field was playing Hill. Super popular play as well. 20 points. That's that's fine. You know, it's a floor game. It's not a snowflake or anything. That's not gonna keep you out of the money. And then we got Michael Gallup here with the news that Amari Cooper was going to be out with COVID. Michael Gallup was already kind of a sneaky play that a lot of people wanted to get in stacks because of his price tag here at 4,200. Well, when Amari Cooper got ruled out, that just juiced his ownership up even more. He came in at just under 69% ownership. Now, he only finished with nine points, but at that price tag, that's, that's fine. I mean, he doesn't even have a snowflake. Right, like that's not quite that two and a half value return that you you're looking for, but if you can get a receiver for four, you know, forty two hundred, who's going to get you close to ten points that you can rely on, that you can bank on that, and then it allows you to get Tyree Kill, Jamar Chase, Darren Waller. I mean, that's that's good lineup construction right there. You got any other comments I'm on this? Gallup. Well, Gallup, I'm just surprised he didn't do better. 
that was what kind of sucked. And like CeeDee Lamb got injured during the game and his I mean, his output didn't get any better. It was like yeah, he just stayed Zeke got hurt too. right along and mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't I'm just a little shocked and surprised we could have more success from a couple of those guys, but overall we cash, so that's what matters most. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, just high floor lineup. That's what we're looking for. You don't need to get cute or contrarian in these. You really, like with the Michael Gallups and the Jeff Wilsons and the A.J. Dillons, I mean, those are the guys that you want to play. If you got, you know, 69% of the field, 76% of the field, 60% of the field, if you have that many people playing them, do you really want to just, you know, dig your heels in and say, no, no, I'm not going to play them. I'm going to fade them. You know, everybody else thinks it's a good play. But no, not me. I'm just gonna, you know, miss me with that. I'll I'll pay for someone else. Like that's not how you typically cash in cash lineups. Because even if none of these guys hit, half the field is getting paid out. So if three quarters of the field is playing AJ Dillon and sixty percent is playing Jeff Wilson and seventy percent is playing Michael Gallup, then who cares if all three of them don't hit? Right? You, st- you half the field gets paid out. So you still have a shot if you're mm-hmm. right elsewhere. But if you fade those guys entirely and any of them do hit, you're automatically out of the money. You're done. If you didn't play A.J. Dillon at 76% ownership and he has a 30-point game and you play someone else, you know, you play, I don't know how many James Conner had, but he was in that same price tag. Like, let's say A.J. Dillon has 30 and James Conner has 10. You're 20 points behind three-quarters of the field right off the bat. You're screwed. (laughs) I'd rather be the other way around. I'd rather three quarters of the field play AJ Dillon. AJ Dillon only has 15 and then, you know, 10% plays James Conner, which likely wouldn't even be that, but let's just say 10% plays James Conner and James Conner has that 30 point game. That's fine. So 10% of the field, you know, is in the money. Now 50% gets paid out. You still have a huge opportunity to get in the money, even though, you know, James Conner had the blow up game and AJ Dillon was a dud. As long as you're keeping with the field, you're fine. I was like getting different at defense. So if you could play, if you could play guys who are 80% owned across the board and then play a 2% owned defense, I would do that every week. If that's how it shook out, you know, that's, that's how I'd look to get different. I'm not going to fade a 76% owned running back. So kind of beating a dead horse with that. We can probably get it moving on. Jake, did you want to talk about this lineup anymore? Otherwise we'll pull up the fantasy labs dashboard and look how some contests broke down yesterday. No, let's uh, let's carry on, brother. All right, man. So I am now going to flip over here. So what I got this sorted by is this is the Millie Maker from yesterday, and we're looking at the exposure of every player. And right now I have it sorted by all lineups, so you can see who the most heavily owned players were across all lineups, winning lineups, losing lineups, whatever. And then we'll uh, we'll kind of sort by the top 1% and see who the winners were playing and how they were different from the field. So, not really a surprise here. A.J. Dillon, he was 76% owned in that cash game, 39% owned in the tournament. It's typically how it works. In tournaments, people try to get more contrarian. So, those guys that have the 50, 60, 70% ownership in cash games, you can usually cut that in half in tournaments. And I'm not saying that that's smart, but it's a strategy, you know. So, A.J. Dillon, again, the way I look at tournament building is I ask myself, if the slate played out 100 times, like, how many of those times would A.J. Dillon be in the winning lineup? And I know it's completely arbitrary. It's completely subjective. 
but a lot of people see this ownership and they'll see 39%. Oh man, that's just a lot of ownership. That's too much. I need to fade him. But I asked myself, I'm like, okay, Aaron Jones is out. They're playing in a, a game that seems like a good game environment. It was right at that 48 point over under. Um, they have no one else that's going to be stealing targets other than Devonte Adams. They have no one else that's going to be stealing carries. So I'm thinking like, okay, if this slate plays out a hundred times today, is AJ Dillon in the optimal winning lineup 39 of those times more, less, where's he at? Right. And that's kind of what you got to ask yourself. And I feel like, I feel like that's about right. If not too low, you know what I mean? At his price tag with Aaron Jones out, it's like, mm-hmm. man, he might be in the optimal winning lineup 60 out of 100 times if they just play that game over and over and over again, you know, if they simulate that game. So that's kind of how I look at ownership in tournaments. In cash game lineups, I look at it like, okay, how many people own him? Do I want to, like, get different here, you know, or do I want to keep up with the field? He's 76% owned. I want to stay the same here, right? This isn't a time to get cute. He's 6% owned. Okay, maybe I can find another guy at 6% ownership who has similar upside. So that's kind of how I look at it in cash games. But this is a totally different usage of the ownership percentage. Jake, you got any comments? You want to keep it moving here? Take us through? Yeah, I mean, with uh, right along with what you're saying, I'm like, you see the top three guys there, A.J. Dillon, Michael Gallup, and Jeff Wilson. That's seemed to be the targets. Like, once it was Saturday, I mean, well, Gallup and Dillon, everybody was targeting right away once injuries were announced. And then Wilson, I don't think Elijah Mitchell's injury was announced until Saturday. So everyone was going for those guys. Um, the following guy, I see Tyreek Hill. The Chiefs and Cowboys were slated as the highest over-under um, on the slate. So makes sense why he's high there as well. So, and I mean, he was leveraged. Had... Yeah, and he's leveraged off of Devontae Adams. So it was mm-hmm. a good stackable game environment, and Devontae Adams was the – I think he was the highest projected owned receiver on the slate. So it, it was kind of double leverage, if you will. You know, you're able to play Hill in that Cowboys Chiefs stack, and then you can get off of Adams – so, um, you know, I wasn't all that high on Hill. I only wanted to play him if I was running a Mahomes stack. But as a one-off piece, I, I don't know. I, I was kind of thinking I didn't. I really wanted to get off of him and Adams for tournaments. You know, you and I talked about that. Stephon Diggs was coming in at seventy-nine hundred. Um, Jefferson was eighty-one hundred, I believe. So, for tournaments, that's kind of what I like to do. Unless I'm running a stack, unless I'm running Aaron Rodgers with Devontae Adams or Patrick Mahomes with Tyreek Hill. I try to find those players with similar price points, similar ceilings, but are going to have you know half the ownership or less even. Um, and this week mm-hmm. would have been great, you know. We all were, the guys we, we talked spot about, on. yeah, we t- with the yeah, guys we threw out. We said saying, like we talked about Debo, so Debo as well. Yep, Debo, Diggs, Jefferson were the three guys I remember we mentioned, and all three of them had blow up games. And we even talked about how there were some guys that we didn't like at that price tag, and we you know we were right on them too. So it was. It was a really good week for us paring down our player pool. I mean, if people listened to the show yesterday, they would have made a lot of money. But um, like I said earlier, it's just a matter of I either didn't run enough tournaments, I didn't you know, take enough time to look at the lineups, or maybe I just need to focus more on cash games because we've been absolutely crushing cash games this year. But, yeah, I mean, we were nailing it with the players. I think the process is right. I think we had the right strategy. It was just a matter of maybe building a few more lineups, getting in a few more contests. Just need to tinker a little bit more. Yeah, we just need to follow our own advice, man. <laughs> Start running the 
start running the optimum lineups and you, you're seeing these projected numbers and it's like, well, this lineup's projected 206. This lineup's only projected 201. Uh, I don't really want to sacrifice these five points, you know, when every point counts in these tournaments. And then you end up kind of playing, you know, like a lot of the heavily owned players that everyone else is playing. So I think I just need to train myself like, okay, yeah, obviously projections matter. Obviously ownership matters. But once you get your player pool narrowed down and you understand which games you want to target, it's okay to sacrifice a few projected points to, you know, gain that leverage to get off of Tyreek Hill onto Debo Samuel. Because I know that Debo has that same upside, even if the projection is, say, Tyreek Hill's projected for three points more or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. So, anyway. Uh, anyone else, I guess, would keep going here. Mark Ingram was 24% owned. Um, same as Tyreek Hill. Mark Ingram filling in for Alvin Kamara. 5,400. He ended up with 16 points. Not a terrible play. The Cleveland defense... 24% ownership. See, this is that defense you want to avoid at all costs. They cost $3,100. They got eight points. So that's not a slate-breaking defense by any means. And a quarter of the field owned them. That's, in my mind, an easy fade. Easy, easy fade. Let's say that you play Cleveland. Let's say Cleveland has 30 points, right? Well, if, if 25% of the field also played Cleveland, then that means not only did that have to happen for you, but you also have to get everything else more right than 25% of the field. Whereas if you play a different defense and Cleveland has eight and the defense you play has 30, then you just lapped 25% of the field. They're playing catch up to you now. You just got a 20 point, you know, they just spotted you 20 points essentially. And so now that gives you a little more cushion everywhere else. You don't have to be perfect with your other picks, but if you play the same defense as a quarter of the field, even if it hits, you still got to be different everywhere else. You got to get everything else right. So that's how we look at defenses. That's how we tackle them in tournaments and in cash. Like I said, in cash, it's just an easy way to get different. So if you're playing heavy chalk across the board at the other positions, cause you don't want to fall behind the field, playing a unique defense is a great way to get different. So I love it. I, I will never play a defense that's projected to be, you know, 15% owned or more ever. I don't care about the situation at all. I don't care if I get called up to the NFL and I'm playing quarterback against that defense. That would just be 90% of the field is playing that defense, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're spot on. It's an easy way to pivot and get off what the majority are doing. And defense is so volatile. It mm-hmm. just, you never know week to week. Like, matchups matter. Um, who's playing on those teams matter a lot. Like, for instance, the Philadelphia New Orleans game, you got. Trevor Simeon, who, I don't know, we can call him third-string, fourth-string quarterback going against Philadelphia, and he has not a lot of reliable targets to throw to to begin with. It's like, when you just think about that, it's like, huh, Philadelphia Philadelphia defense makes sense. Yep. What do you know yesterday? They got a pick six, and, it yeah, just things like that. I don't know. I've seen, I feel like I uh, just don't – think common sense enough when I'm picking defenses. I just look at the ownership sort of stuff. I'm just like, um, yeah, we'll pick that guy. And I just don't put enough thought into it. I feel like it's an easier, uh, I guess, play to figure. Mm-hmm. Just need to put a little more time into doing that one. It's just, I mean, a lot of common sense. Like just simply look at the matchups, the personnel, and I think you'll have success. Yep. Where I always like to start with defense is I look at pressure rate, right? So I look at, 
the defense is pressure rate getting to the quarterback and the offense is pressure rate allowed because that, I mean, there's a huge correlation between pressure rate and turnovers and turnovers is how you score like defensive fantasy points. That's it. It doesn't matter if your defense gives up zero points. Your defense could shut the other team out. That's 10 points that your defense got. That's fine. That's okay. You know, but if you're not getting sacks, if you're not getting interceptions, if you're not getting an opportunity at returning a touchdown in some capacity, then that's your ceiling. You you can only get 10 points. You could shut a team out. They could never even cross the 50-yard line, and you get 10 points. That's what you get, period. And chances are, if, if there's a defense that's that good that can shut teams out, they're probably going to cost 4K. So you're paying 4K for a defense that's going to shut the other team out, but if they don't get any turnovers, it doesn't matter. So you're better off looking for those just sloppy games, gross games, playing a defense with a good pass rush against an offense that has a bad pass block, playing against a replacement quarterback. Um, I mean, yeah, like basically that. And then to your point with the Saints, they have no playmakers, especially when Kamara's out. So they're playing a replacement-level quarterback. They don't have Michael Thomas. They don't have Alvin Kamara. There's just no weapons there. So, yeah, that's a great environment. But, you know, a lot of people just look at it and be like, oh, well, the Saints are good and the Eagles are bad. So, yeah, why would I play the Eagles defense? No offense to any Eagles fans that might be out there. <laughs> Don't take it because they didn't I love do your process. phenomenally yesterday. Yeah, but you nailed the process. I mean, that's you know, right. You, you can't just look at the names. Sometimes you can't even look at the spread. You really need to look at the situation. Oh, this team has three of their starting offensive linemen out. And this other team, they just got their uh, best pass rusher back this week. You know, boom. That's something I would want to target. If that, if there's a scenario like that, that's what I would target. I don't care if the one team has the best record in the league and the other team has the worst record in the league. I'm just looking for that sort of matchup. Like, are they going to put pressure on the quarterback? Can they get to the quarterback and just, just strip the ball? You just, you know, strip, return it for a touchdown. Boom. That's all you need. That right there, that defense would probably be one of the top five high scoring defenses on the slate. Just from that one play alone. So that's what you're looking for. And also, that's how volatile defensive scoring is. You're looking for a pick six. If you get a pick six, you have the best defense on the slate. You can't predict that stuff, you know? Anything else here that you want to take a look right. at? Or we could we could sort by something else. Oh, here's James Conner. I did mention James Conner. So he ended up with 20 points. So he scored five more points than A.J. Dillon. He was come. He still came in at twenty percent owned. So, and this is in the uh, this is in the million maker. So he was probably, I don't know, probably another ten percent owned in the double up. I would guess. Typically, these chalky running backs are more heavily owned in the cash games than they are tournaments. So, yeah, James Conner. He scored five more points. Um, he was a hundred dollars cheaper. So you know, I'm sure people were thinking that was a way they could get off of Dylan. And in tournaments, I think that's a great strategy. But in cash games, just play the guy that. Three quarters of the field is playing. You'll be fine, I promise. Even if Dylan doesn't do fine, you'll be fine. Chubb had 25, Waddle had 20, Connor had the 20. CD Lamb came in 18% owned. He finished with four points, went out with that injury. Dak came in at 17% owned, finished with five points. And that's tough. I mean, he lost CD, he lost Zeke. Amari never even suited up, so that's just a tough spot for Dak. And I had him a home stack with Hill. And Kelsey, but I stayed away from Dak. I just, I wasn't sure what to expect on that end. Um, I mentioned this yesterday when we were watching games, but I was getting some really hardcore Charger Cowboys 
vibes. Remember that from week, what was it, three? Three or four, I want to say. That was the game everybody was targeting. I think it was just kind of name, you know. It was like, oh, Herbert is having an MVP caliber year and Mike Williams and they got Keenan Allen who hasn't even been unleashed yet and Eckler and then the Cowboys got all these studs and this would be a great game to target. And then it just ended up not living up to the hype. You know, I think all week people were pumping it up and then the game actually happened and it was like, oh, yeah, the Chargers have a good pass D, you know, like, oh, yeah, the Cowboys sometimes can really get into spots where they can't move the ball. Um, I don't It's weird, man. It's weird because sometimes they just look so explosive and then other times they can't get going and it's like three and out, turn the ball over. So, I don't know. Cowboys are one of those shaky teams. When they're at full health, though, I mean, they have so many weapons that they could beat anybody. But you get a couple injuries, you get the wrong matchup. I don't know. They just seem to kind of fall apart at times. Then we got Devontae Adams. Yeah, I mean. Kelsey. Yep. What were you going to say? You want to sort by uh, the top 1%? I'm curious to see. Yep, that was exactly what I was thinking what the, here. So the top dogs did. 51% of the top 1% of lineups had Devontae Adams. Uh, we knew he was popular this week. 8400 is fair price for him. As much usage as he gets, they're going against the Vikings. He ended up having 33 points. Jonathan Taylor, 43% of the top 1% of lineups had Jonathan Taylor. He had 56 points. I think he had 30 points before halftime. 20 points at the end of the first quarter. I remember making the comment he was on pace for 80 points. So that was that dude, man. He came in at, you know... 43% owned in the top 1% of lineups, only 39 so 4% owned by the field. So you got a sub-5% owned running back who scored 56 points. And it wasn't out of nowhere. He scored over 20 points in each of the last seven games, I want to say, coming in at $8,300. He's one of the higher-priced running backs. So this wasn't a huge surprise. They were playing at Buffalo, so I think that scared some people off of him, me included. But, yeah, I mean, we threw his name out yesterday. You know, we rattled off all those 5K guys that would be mm-hmm. cheap bargain bin plays, and, and we said if you want to get different or if you got the cash, throw in Christian McCaffrey, throw in Dalvin Cook, or throw in Jonathan Taylor. Those were the three big spends that we liked. So we did name drop him. We just didn't play him. <laughs> About like all the guys that went off yesterday. And then you got Aaron Rodgers and MVS. So it appears this was probably the stack. And then Justin Jefferson. So in the top 1% of lineups, people were playing in Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, MVS, double stack, and bringing it back with Jefferson. And, you know, that's a lot of salary, so I don't know if those same teams were able to jam in Jonathan Taylor or not, but, I mean, it's just pretty obvious to me that that's what got it done. Rodgers, Adams, MVS, Jefferson, bring back. Come down here, you even got, you know, A.J. Yeah, Dillon. Yeah, looking here, Mike. Yeah. There's a lot of just game set correlations. I mean, mm-hmm. it really made your job easy. It's not, then it just takes the guessing out of it where we have the Green Bay and Vikings game here. And then we also have the New York Jets and Miami with Jalen Waddle and Elijah Moore. And then the yeah. other correlation, you're running back with defense. We have Nick Chubb with the Browns and then the Browns defense there. And it, I mean, yeah, we could have all made it easy on ourselves if we would have been on the more on the Packers and Vikings game. That definitely was the game to target. But yep. for some reason we skipped out on that one, and I'm thinking a good amount of people did. Everyone wanted that Chiefs, a piece of the Chiefs-Cowboys. I just wanted to sort was, by defense. Projected so high. 
Yeah, I just want to start by defense here because I was really surprised Cleveland's defense was owned by 20% of teams that finished in the top 1%. So, like I said, that is something that I would never want to do. I would never want to play a defense that's heavily owned. I mean, it was 24% owned by the field, 20% owned by the top 1%. And you look at the points, they scored eight points. So they were the 10th highest scoring defense. They were the 10th highest scoring defense with eight points and they're owned by a quarter of the field. So they scored eight. I mean, imagine if you had played Kansas City for 2,200. They scored 15. They almost double up. Could have played Houston, the cheapest defense on the slate for 2K. They scored 14 points. And Houston's defense was owned by 13% of the top 1% of lineups. So, you know, at first when you initially see it and you see, oh, Cleveland was the defense that was most owned by 1% of teams, like, okay, but let's look a little deeper into it. You know what I mean? It, mm-hmm. And like I said, it doesn't mean that you can't get there playing the most heavily on defense. It just means you have to get everything else right, too. So, yeah, if you're in the top 1%, you got everything right. But some of these teams could have gone contrary and they could have saved money playing Houston or whatever and they would have scored even more. <clears throat> Let's take a look here at the winning lineup. The winning lineup here. Let's see what this is sorted by. I, I don't know. It's just randomly sorted here. But they played... Oh, this is a really interesting lineup. So the winning lineup played Kirk Cousins with Thielen, Jefferson... No bring back. Minnesota's defense, very interesting. You're going to play a double sack and then the defense and no bring back. They had a Jonathan Taylor one-off. Darnell Mooney one-off. Mark Ingram, chalky running back. And then they played two tight ends. They played Hooper and Ertz. The double tight ends is something I've seen a lot of this year in these large field tournaments. That would scare me to play two tight ends with kind of both low floors, low ceilings in my opinion. But I think Ertz had two touchdowns. I'm not sure what Hooper ended up doing. And it is a way to save money. I mean, you can see Ertz came in at 4,800 and Hooper was 3,200. So it's a great way to save money. It's just extremely volatile, extremely boomer bust. I mean, imagine if everyone hits in this and except Ertz and Hooper. I mean, you'd kind of be kicking yourself, right? You'd be like, I got the Jonathan Taylor right. I got Darnell Mooney right. I played the right stack with Cousins, Jefferson, and Thielen. And it's like, oh, you must have done pretty good. No, because I played Hooper and Ertz. <laughs> and they both goose-egged. So, I don't know, man. Ballsy play. Dude won a million dollars running it, though. So, good for him. Yeah. I'm, like, blown away this one, honestly. Because Minnesota's defense, there's no way they, like, scored at any points. I mean, they gave up 34. Yeah, I don't even. And then, it's not showing their points here. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, lineup, maybe. All right. I'm like, so, this was totally uh, galaxy brand. Yeah, one point. Yeah, Ertz had 28 fantasy points. Hooper had nine. So, you know, when you're playing a $3,200 tight end, nine points is all you need. Ertz was 4,800. He scored 28. I, dude, anybody getting you 28, that's a good play. And then Mooney had 26. Thielen had 22. Jefferson had 40. Cousins had 28. Jonathan Taylor had 56. And Mark Ingram was owned by a quarter of the field, so he just played a chalky running back. And he had 16, so 228 points overall. Very interesting. That's crazy. And just think, you know, a $2,300 yeah. defense, he could have played the Chiefs defense. They scored 15. He could have scored 14 more points than what he scored. He could have played the Houston defense. They scored 14. He could have scored 13 more points than what he – or, you know, 14 more. 
So just getting off of defense, he could have ended up scoring even more. Not that he needed it. He won a million bucks, but that's just, so that's wild that to me. created one lineup. This person had one lineup for the million maker. Was it? It's not like someone that you know did 150 max even. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. D- double tight end. So there you go. Don't be afraid to play double tight ends, and I guess don't be afraid to play the defense of the team that you're double stacking. <laughs> I mean, this is about as contrarian as it gets in those regards. So get on them, man. But, you know, look over here. This is uh, kind of game trends. Or those aren't the game trends. Where are the game trends here? Oh, I don't know. I was looking earlier at a game trends feature where it would show that they ran a team stack, a double stack, a bring back, a correlated defense, yada, yada, yada. But I don't know where I was. I'm still figuring this stuff out. Let's take a look at this team that got second now. Maybe. Let's maybe take a look at him. All right. So he had three lineups. Let's just take a look at the uh, one that got second, obviously. He had two of them that were right there. So, yeah, this top one here, you had Cam Newton, Jonathan Taylor, Miles Sanders. You'd mentioned Miles Sanders earlier in the week. He came in at less than 1% owned. He only had eight points, but at 5K, you know, I guess that's kind of a boomer bust option if you want to get different. He had Jefferson. He was close, too, because I think he was six yards away from the 100-yard bonus. Oh, no kidding. Well, how do you pull that off if he only had 8.4 points? They get a fumble. Okay, okay. Yeah, and Hurts had three rushing touchdowns. So if they're if Sanders is getting those goal line carries, maybe he gets a couple touchdowns. So yeah, I didn't realize he was that close to the bonus. So, but yeah, that's awesome, man. So maybe he'll get more involved in the offense moving forward. Um, you had a Terry McLaurin. So you had Cam Newton stacked with Tommy Tremble and run back with Terry McLaurin. That's interesting. Tremble coming at the min salary. Um, less than 1% ownership. He only had five points, but I, I get it. You're saving money. You're being different. You're creating a little game stack. Terry McLaurin, just it doesn't matter who they play against. He's a stud. Came in at 1% owned, had 24 points. I remember a few weeks ago, the Millie Maker played him against Denver, and a lot of people were like, oh, it's just two bad teams, low-scoring game. Patrick Sertain is going to be shadowing him. There's better plays out there, right? That was kind of the thesis. But we just forgot that it's Terry McLaurin. It, it doesn't matter who he plays against. They're going to force feed him the ball, and he's incredible at 50-50 balls. You know, Heineke's not a pinpoint accurate passer. They're just basically throwing up Hail Marys, and McLaurin comes down with them more times than not. So that's a dude that you got to have in your player pool every week. Not that he had a blow-up game, but 24 points. thats If you can get a consistent 24 points, you know, play that guy, and you can get that with him. Jefferson had 40 points. We mentioned him earlier. Uh, DeAndre Swift down here he had 25 points. They had him in the flex. And they were running the DeAndre Swift and Detroit defense correlation. So that's a pretty popular and common correlation, running a running back with their own defense. Detroit had nine points, only $2,100. So there you go. And we were touting Swift yesterday, too. We liked him. We were saying if you wanted to get up from one of those 5K guys, but you didn't have enough money to get up into those, you know, Christian McCaffrey, Jonathan Taylor range of players in the low 8K, DeAndre Swift was a nice guy in the middle there at 7K. We really liked him, too. What do you think of this lineup? Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. It went along with uh, 
just like you were saying, the DeAndre Swift play, we were mentioning that yesterday, and Terry McLaurin being Terry McLaurin. I mean, he gets it done every week. He's a matchup nightmare, and he gets forced fed the ball. They don't have a lot of options there with the Washington football team. You can count on him every week to get a nice, hefty volume share. Yep. All right, let's jump over here and take a look at game stacks. This is always a fun little tool to look at, and I might need to actually tweak the screen here because it looks like maybe it's not showing everything. So give me a second here, and we're going to get this to work. Maybe. Maybe we're going to get this to work. What are you trying to flip to? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I guess you can't see. I just clicked on the Team Stacks tab. Oh, no, I can see it. Okay, cool. So, yeah, I just got that edited um, or cropped so we can view it now. So this is a cool little feature, too. It shows um, which stacks you can sort by were most owned by the field, most owned by the top 20, top 10, top 1%. You can sort by salary. Um and I guess it doesn't show you their combined points, but again, if you sort by the top 1%, you can see which stacks perform the best. And, you know, no surprise here at the top, Rodgers, Devontae Adams, MVS was owned by 15% of the top 1% of lineups. Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams was owned by 10%. So between those two right there, that's a quarter of the field had Adams, Rodgers. Some of them had MVS, some of them, you know, just Aaron Rodgers and Adams. Then you got... Nick Chubb and the Cleveland defense. I'm sure that was pretty chalky. Chubb was another running back that we liked this week. And with Cleveland's defense being so heavily owned, that makes sense. 6% owned by the top 1%. Um, then you got Aaron Rodgers, A.J. Dillon, Devontae Adams coming in at 4%. Aaron Rodgers, A.J. Dillon, Devontae Adams, and MVS coming in at 4%. Um, yeah, Cousins and Jefferson coming in at 4 A.J. Dillon and Devontae Adams coming in at 3 So... I mean, just right off the top, you got one, two, three, four, five, six. Six of the top eight team stacks were Green Bay, Minnesota. Says it all right there. That's the slate. And then you got, I guess, if you wanted to throw yeah, in a few others. That was the game. That was the game, yep. You play that really any which way you wanted. As long as you were playing pieces from that game, you were looking good. You got Cam Newton, Christian McCaffrey were owned by 2.9%. Uh, Cam Newton, DJ Moore were owned by 2.4. So DJ Moore came in at $5,900. We both kind of mentioned how much talent. Like, we love the talent. We like the matchup. We just weren't sure how he'd be used with Cam Newton being integrated back into the system. Christian McCaffrey, I was a little higher on just because he has such a high floor. And him and Newton played together before Newton went to New England. So we know that they can play together. And Christian McCaffrey can still have those RB1, overall RB1 type games. And then yeah, Tua Jalen Waddle, that was a popular one. 2.7 owned by the field, 2.4 owned by the top 1%. Just both cheap options that you knew were going to get used. And then we're back down, more Vikings, more Packers. Darnell Mooney, Chicago defense, that makes sense, right? Lamar Jackson got ruled out late in the, in the morning, so I think Chicago's defense was pretty sharp. I had them in quite a few tournaments. And Allen Robinson was out, and so, you know, Mooney is really all they had for a receiving option, plus Cole Komet was going to be popular at tight end, being only $3,400. So it was a way to create leverage by keeping a player, a pass catcher from that game, from that team even, but getting off of commit. Anything jumping out of you here, Jake? I mean, a lot of it just makes sense. 
like you just said, I mean, that Darnell Mooney play, creating leverage, Komet was, a, I think, one of the highest projected tight ends on the slate. Made a ton of sense to go that way. And then, I mean, that Vikings players, just like we said, I mean, that's the game to play, Vikings and Packers. It's just a matter of not overthinking things and sticking to what makes sense, really. Yep. Now I'm sort of that every week. Yeah, I'm sorted here by the field now, so we can look at some of the team stacks that were heavily owned by the field, but maybe not so much by the top 1%, which would indicate that they didn't perform well, right? So you got Patrick Mahomes, Tyree Kill, owned by 4% of the field. They were in 0% of the top 1% of lineups. Dak and Gallup, this is unbelievable to me, but they were owned by 3% of the field and 0.2% of 1% of lineups. That just blows my mind that they were in any any top 1% of lineups. Pretty wild. Um, Dak and CeeDee Lamb, 2.6% in the field, 0% of winning lineups. Jeff Wilson and Debo Samuel, that's an interesting stack because I felt like, like we were saying, if Debo Samuel was going to have himself a game, it's because he was going to be cutting into the rushing workload, which would then mean Jeff Wilson wouldn't be having to get of a game as you would need. So that makes sense that that was a negatively correlated combination, but I'm surprised at how owned it was. Um, again, Dallas, you know, high owned by the field, low owned by the top 1%. Kansas City, high owned by the field, low owned by the top 1%. Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase owned by 2.3% of the field, only 0.1% of turn or top 1%. Um, I didn't play any Burrow because of the price tag, but I played Chase a lot. He was one of those higher owned receivers. I liked that game environment. I did have a Derek Carr lineup that I ran with Waller and Chase. Didn't give me any money, but, you know, I was kind of on chase, too, like the field was. But, obviously, the Sharps knew better. That's about all that's really jumping out at me. I don't know. You get down here then. Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, they're uh, really the only stack here that was in the top, I don't know, 12 or so that also finished, you know, 10% owned by the top 1%. That and then the Nick Chubb and Cleveland D. So, I don't know. That's really all I got, man. I'm not – yeah, I feel like we've kind of hashed over, like, what won this week and what you need to look for in the future. Play the chalky running backs, target game stacks, you know, and don't be afraid to go heavy. I mean, just think, you could have played any and all Green Bay, Minnesota players. Your whole lineup could have just been Green Bay, Minnesota players, and you would have won a ton of money. So, mm-hmm. Just got to stick to the principles and get the game right. I mean – that game would have qualified since it was a 48-point total. It's just a matter of picking that one and sticking with that one. Um, like, for me, I yeah. was a little bit heavier on the Oakland-Cincinnati matchup. Like, my late-game swap, that's what I ended up having to go with. But even in the get-go, before the noon games had started, I was a little bit higher on that game than, say, the Green Bay-Minnesota game. I thought that was just going to turn into a – Smash mouth sort of game, but I mean, should have known better. Mike Kirk Cousins and Aaron Rodgers, they tend to end up airing it out, and it's always a really good game. Minnesota and Green Bay get together. Yep. No, my thoughts exactly. And you could run more than one lineup every week. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have to say, okay, I'm going to play only Green Bay, Minnesota players, and I'm going to build 50 lineups, and they're just all going to be those onslaughts. You could run some lineups that were all Chiefs, Dallas guys. You could run some lineups that were heavy on the Las Vegas Cincinnati guys, you know, it's not that you have to pick the right game, but you just want to look for stacks. You want to look for correlations. You, know, you build as many laps as you want, but 
essentially what we're saying is what you're looking for is those type of stacks and those type of game environments that can turn into shootouts. And then you just want to jam in as many pieces of those players as you can. So it's really all we're getting at. But that's all I got. I think this ran a little longer than these review episodes typically do. Um, Jake, what do you got for the people? Uh, thanks for joining us this morning with the review. And thank you for hanging with the bros. That's right. Like, subscribe, hit the bell. Boom.